The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash. And this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. In this episode, we dive into the topic of the Mediterranean diet. We go deep with dietitian Stephanie Velakis, also known as the dietologist. Stephanie opens up about what the Mediterranean diet is and why it's hailed as the world's healthiest diet from benefiting mental health, heart health, diabetes, and reproduction. Should everyone trying to conceive follow the Mediterranean diet? What kind of fish are consumed as part of this diet? And why is olive oil such a big deal? Why should Australians buy Australian olive oil and avoid imported oils? How does one shop for a Mediterranean-based diet? A little bit about Stephanie Velakis. She is an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist. Stephanie and her virtual practice are dedicated to excellence in nutrition, for reproductive health concerns, fertility, and pregnancy. Her passion for nutrition in this space has truly grown from her experience helping her clients online from all around the world and also through her own personal experiences of navigating a diagnosis of endometriosis. I've left links in the show notes for how you can connect and learn with Stephanie. I hope you enjoy our chat. Stephanie Velarkis, veteran to the show. Thanks for coming on today. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. <laughs> so what's been happening since I last spoke to you, which was what, last year sometime? What's been yeah. happening in your world, Stephanie Velarkis? Um, What hasn't been happening? I have pretty much pivoted to an online nutrition practice now and expanded the team. So I now have another awesome dietitian that consults with me. And um, yeah, I've got some a bit more of a team now. It's not just a solo endeavor, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, I've been working away at some new products and programs to kind of help reach more people and help them with their key concerns around fertility and particularly endometriosis as well. So yeah, I've been um, rabbiting away in my in my home office, that's for sure. So you used to practice out of my rooms pre-COVID and then with COVID you obviously went online, but it sounds like that's been a good thing for you. Would you say yes? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it was a long, uh, like a longer term goal for me that I don't, I, I thought at the time, I guess the market, so to speak, wasn't ready for it. People still really felt that connection to face-to-face health services at that time. Um, and so I was doing online consultations with people interstate and overseas. Um, but with COVID, I think people just had to adapt to telehealth consultations. And now people realise the convenience of it. And so they're happy to kind of stay with it. So, you know, things can always change again, but I am really enjoying it. And I think, yeah, our clients are really enjoying it as well. So, yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a really positive thing for us. It's good to hear, Steph. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Mediterranean diet today. Mm-hmm. Um, where do we start with the Mediterranean diet? I guess, what is it? <laughs> yeah, okay. What is it, Stephanie? <laughs> so the Mediterranean diet is not a uh, quote-unquote diet as in a fad diet, but rather a dietary pattern that's based on, I guess, 
culture and and certain parts of the world. So when we're talking about the Mediterranean diet, what's classified as a traditional Mediterranean diet is actually a Cretan diet, which is um, one of the largest islands in Greece. Um, So a traditional Mediterranean diet has a lot of research benefits, which we'll get to in in a moment, and it seems to be consistently named as one of the top kind of dietary patterns of the year at the start of every year they seem to publish these articles in the media about what's the best diet of the year and the Mediterranean dietary pattern always sits at the top and and thankfully so because absolutely it has a lot of benefits but what it is is it is a dietary pattern that's founded on a few key principles and some of them have actually not much to do with eating at all but rather about lifestyle factors so things like moving every day in a a practical kind of way. So thinking about little things like walking or cooking or housework or dancing or, you know, or more intentional movement. Um, And then eating together, so eating in a social setting, is another kind of core pillar that has really not much to do with diet at all but has a lot to do with the way that we eat and and some of the research benefits I imagine around mental health that we're starting to see too. And then from a food perspective, the foundations are a mixture of consuming these kinds of foods daily, which are fruits, vegetables, extra virgin olive oil, herbs and spices, nuts and seeds and legumes and beans, as well as whole grains. So that's kind of like if you were thinking about the old school kind of food pyramid, all of that goes on the bottom tier. And then you go up a rung and you've kind of got your fish and seafood. So that would be our next most common protein after legumes and beans. And then above that, we've got dairy, eggs and chicken. And then above that, the tippy top of the pyramid, we've got red meat and sweets or, you know, your desserts. Um, And the two main fluids are water and red wine, which everyone is thrilled to hear about, which is generally recommended to consume in small portions with meals and enjoyed with others kind of thing. So that's kind of a bit of a snapshot of what the Mediterranean diet is and also what it isn't, which it's not a fad diet. It's, it's It's really a way of life based on some key tenets that we've been able to extract from, yeah, certain parts of the world. So you mentioned fruits in there. How much fruit per day? Because some people say, oh, I eat a lot of fruit, but a lot of fruit is not good either, is it? Or I suppose it depends on the kind of fruit as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Too much of anything can cause anybody a problem, no matter how nutritious it is. And so with the Mediterranean diet, we're looking at two to three fish-sized portions a day, and they typically use that in lieu of dessert. So when we would often reach for some chocolate after dinner, um, they would actually have fruit. So that's the kind of way that we can utilise fruit in the context of a Mediterranean diet. And what are the more common fruits that will be consumed as part of the Mediterranean diet? Um, I understand that most of it is seasonal and fresh rather than dried or fruit juice. So most of it would be what they have access to at that time. So I imagine things like figs and grapes and melons, um, probably less so things like the more tropical fruits just because of the climate, but seasonal. It's all about just picking the seasonal because that will give you the most amount of nutrients at that time and also reduces expense and gives you that dietary variety across each season. So 
Yeah, specific types of fruits can vary a lot, but um, depending on location and season. But if we're just lifting the key principles, I would probably recommend aiming for two to three kind of fist-sized portions of fruit um, and, yeah, try using it in lieu of dessert. So why is it hailed as, as the world's healthiest diet? As you said, time and time again, this happens. Uh, I'm assuming there's a lot of evidence to support this. Yeah, so we see evidence around the Mediterranean diet in lots of different domains. So we've seen it in mental health. So we've shown that it can be more effective than a social support group in managing clinical depression. So that was the SMILES trial that happened in um, Victoria. which That's is huge. Quite, yeah, quite a, a pivotal a pivotal study when it comes to, I guess, revolutionising the way that we talk about mental health as um, only, you know, requiring psychological therapy, but also the impact that other things can have on mental health, like diet and Mediterranean diet seems to be the leader in that space. Um, so that's one. Um, other things like cognitive decline in our um, older age, so preventing that or mitigating some of that cognitive decline. Uh, we've got lots of data around heart health and heart disease. There's even data around diabetes. And, of course, my interests really lie in the kind of reproductive health space. So there is some research around Mediterranean diets and their benefits for both men and women who are undergoing IVF um, and how that improves their outcomes when it comes to pregnancy and birth rates. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of different facets of looking at the benefits of the Mediterranean diet for a variety of health conditions, but also potentially just from a longevity standpoint as well as um, the Mediterranean diet and ageing and how it can help support healthy ageing with that cognitive decline research as well. So I think it's really fascinating. It, it really covers off some key kind of um, systems almost in terms of mental health and brain function and then you've kind of got your heart health and metabolic health and then you've got your reproductive health. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of different angles that has evidence that shows that the Mediterranean dietary pattern is beneficial. So do you think everyone who's trying to conceive should follow a Mediterranean diet? I think it's a really good place to start. But there are going to be things that we're going to need to kind of tweak depending on, of course, your unique situation and what's going on for you and what's practical for you. Um, but I think it's a really nice foundation to help people kind of just recalibrate and get a feel for, you know, what should we kind of be aligning ourselves to? Basically, a big variety of plants focusing on healthy, unsaturated fats, um, having lots of antioxidants in your diet in the form of fruit and vegetables and herbs and spices, having focusing on fish and seafood, which we know is a great source of omega-3s, um, and that seems to be beneficial for conception as well. And then, you know, I, I kind of call it the modi med, <laughs> which is like a modified Mediterranean diet where we start to maybe increase some more of the proteins that Otherwise, the traditional Mediterranean diet would generally limit um, to try to just meet certain nutrient requirements like iron and zinc, for example, um, which we know are really important in the lead up to conception. So, yeah, I kind of use it as a nice support structure to kind of start to design a diet, but I definitely do modify and stray away from it as needed depending on what individuals need. But 
for those just listening out there who are like, is this kind of like a good place to start? Absolutely. If you were searching up between a Mediterranean dietary pattern and almost any other dietary pattern, this would be a very safe bet to get started and probably start to experience some, some benefits straight away. So you mentioned earlier fish. Uh, c- can you tell tell us more about what types of fish? Because obviously the bigger mm-hmm. the fish, the more the mercury may be. So maybe we should be focusing on smaller fish and this is more more important for women who are trying to conceive. Can you talk more on yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. So fish intake um, in general, fish and seafood has been positively associated with a reduced time to conception. Um, so, and then there's also the benefits of the nutrients that's found in fish like zinc and selenium and omega-3s and so on. But absolutely, if we have very large fish like swordfish, marlin, broadbill, catfish, orange roughy, flake or shark, those fish are very large and predatory. So they're going to have accumulated more mercury by eating more, you know, medium-sized fish and those fish have eaten a gajillion tiny fish and so on. And so it kind of concentrates up the food chain until it concentrates in us. So we don't want to be consuming these very, very large fish. But in the traditional Mediterranean diet, most of the fish are kind of medium, if not quite small. So think of fish like sardines or anchovies, or even fish like whitebait, which is commonly quite consumed in Mediterranean countries, which are teeny tiny, um, very, very small fish, so very, very low in mercury. So it's just about, I guess, balancing it out. I, I would classify fish like salmon and ocean trout as kind of a medium-sized fish rather than a large-sized fish. So it's just about trying to choose the smaller end of the spectrum rather than the larger and not overdoing it. So you don't need to eat fish every single day for the rest of your days to have a Mediterranean diet. And also there's benefits to incorporating other types of seafood like prawns or shellfish or calamari or octopus. Like all of those varieties of seafood have benefits too. Oysters, great source of zinc, for example. So it's not just about fish and fish only. Yes, that's great, but also others, other kinds of seafood also have benefit too. I like that. I've just come up with an acronym, SORT, salmon, oh. sardines, anchovies, whitebait, trout. And yeah. uh, the SOAR stands for the smaller ones, which are the better ones, the sardines, anchovies, whitebait. And I love whitebait. That's so Greek to me. So Greek. <laughs> yeah. And prawns and oysters, we, yeah, we do forget about those. Well, I certainly do. Um, mm. Prawns have a lot of nutrients in them, don't they? They do, and they're such a effective um, high-volume protein because you can eat so many of them and get so much nutrition out of them in terms of iodine and, and zinc and they, you know, you can eat a lot more prawns than you can a piece of steak when it comes to cal- calorie equivalent. So it's a very efficient way to eat more volume um, and get the nutrition in without necessarily, yeah, getting the energy quantity up very high in a particular meal. So it's, it's a really useful protein, so underrated, I reckon, mm. because it's accessible, like particularly you know, you can buy pre-prepared frozen kind of prawns ready to peel and add to a stir fry pretty readily in the supermarkets, but we often forget about it totally. 
Yeah, and they're so versatile and, and, and you can use them in so many different ways from like, as you said, just, you know, shelling them and eating them raw or, you know, making them, frying them with some olive oil and, and garlic or putting them in a stir fry or God knows, whatever. Yeah, rice paper rolls, mm, that's a good favourite. <laughs> now, <laughs> how about olive oil? Uh, there's lots of different types of olive oil. Yeah. Um, which one? You know, the, you've got the extra virgin and the the yeah. the um, ordinary. Vir- I mean, you tell me, you're the expert. <laughs> I just <laughs> eat the stuff. Yes. So extra virgin olive oil is, and uh, in fact, if you live in Australia, buying Australian made is, is better than buying something from overseas. And I'll get to why that's important mm. in a moment. Extra virgin olive oil is by far and away the best. The reason being is the time that it takes from the olive to go from the tree to being pressed because um, olive oil is really interesting in the sense that it is technically an oil, but it is um, basically olive juice. So the way that olive oil is made is the olives are pitted and then crushed and then the patapanade, which is kind of the olive chunks that have all been ground up, um, is separated from the rest. So it's actually technically olive juice or (laughs) it's technically fruit juice in a way because olives are fruit. Um, So it's funny how we call it olive oil, I find, but um, Mm. we call it olive oil nonetheless because it's a high-fat fruit. But it's a four-hour turnaround from tree to press. Um, So that means there's less time for any heat to kind of destroy any of the nutrition in the olives. um, And it means that you're getting the kind of highest quantity of nutrition in that oil. And the reason why that's important is because extra virgin olive oil contains, oh, I can't even think of the number off the top of my head, but quite a few polyphenols and antioxidants, um, more than I could probably name, but a couple off the top of my head include squalene, which is very popularly used as a supplement for ageing, um, and vitamin E, which we use for helping fertility and, and egg quality and implantation supports, another great antioxidant, and then also oleocanthal, which has some anti-inflammatory properties, um, in a similar mechanism that it works in the body to ibuprofen. So it can potentially help with some inflammation-related pain, for example, at obviously at a much lower level than ibuprofen, but it kind of replicates that kind of behaviour. So extra virgin olive oil is my number one pick because of its antioxidant content um, as well that you've got less chance of the fat necessarily going rancid in the in the heat, for example. Um, so that's my number one pick. And the reason why I say Australian made is because it is, you've got to, like I just said, you've got to treat it like it's juice. So you wouldn't leave fresh juice just sitting in your fridge forever because it would grow bacteria and go yucky. Now, a fat won't do that. It will go rancid. But what can happen, particularly with lots using lots of imported olive oils, is that the quality may not be up to the same standard. It might be mixed or it might not be um, or it might have started to go a little bit rancid. So I recommend using an Australian extra virgin olive oil and, yeah, experimenting, finding the one that you like best that suits kind of your 
culinary preferences because there is extra virgin olive oil that has a very robust taste and then you've also got more lightly flavored extra virgin olive oil it doesn't mean it's light in fat it just means it's light in flavor so that can be useful when cooking things that you may not want that flavor to come through as much um so say you're making a, a curry and you don't want a very strong olive oil taste and uh, you might want to use a light extra virgin olive oil so you'll still get the benefits they're just using a different variety of olive to create that flavor so yeah that's that's really why i recommend it obviously it's the primary fat for the mediterranean dietary pattern um, it's great from a heart health perspective and you've also got the added bonus of it really smashing every other oil out of the park when it comes to antioxidant content and it's totally safe to cook with at home. Um, we've shown studies that um, studies show that the antioxidants in the olive itself actually protect the uh, oil from being destroyed by the heat. So it actually performs better than other oils because of its antioxidant content. So it's really no reason not to uh, have extra virgin olive oil at home. <laughs> you mentioned squalling. Mm. It's interesting because I, I um, use kind of some skincare cleansing products that actually contain that, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually, um, I believe it's usually sourced from um, sharks. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting that we can kind of get it in through our diet with such a staple like extra virgin olive oil. I remember when I first started seeing EVVO at restaurants on menus yeah. and I'm like, what is that? What's Evo? And then, and then you know, they break it down to extra virgin olive oil and I'm thinking, why is this so special? When, you know, I suppose for me I've taken it for granted having grown up in a Greek household yeah. where we, the only oil we ever use is um, olive oil. I, I, I always found that quite interesting. Yeah. It's almost become like a little bit of a statement now, hasn't yeah. it? And I think that's because notoriously restaurants would probably use a more cheaper neutral tasting oil. So they probably just want to showcase that they are actually using um, extra virgin olive oil or Evo for for their dishes um, as like a bit of a statement, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'd be prepared to pay a bit more for that. Yeah, totally. Me too. Um, you mentioned healthy unsaturated fats earlier. Can you tell us more about where we would go for those? Yeah, so our healthy unsaturated fats are primarily our monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats, or MUFAs and PUFAs for short. Um, our monounsaturated fats come from olives, um, so extra virgin olive oil and then whole olives, nuts and seeds and nut butters and seed butters, and then avocado primarily. And then our polyunsaturated fats are our long chain omegas. So they're again going to come from nuts and seeds like walnuts, chia seeds, hemp seeds and flax seeds. And then of course the oily fish category that we were just talking about before. So those are our kind of class of healthy unsaturated fats that we want to try and focus on. Um, particularly all the time fats are essential to our our daily diet, whether you're whatever you're trying to achieve, our body can't make sufficient fat to to survive. So we need to consume it. Um, so it is important for just general health, but 
particularly in the Mediterranean diet, we do see kind of higher fat intakes compared to other populations. So they tend to err on 35 to 40% of their total calories being fat. Um, so that leaves a little bit less room for protein and carbohydrates as a percentage, um, but it works out okay given the other elements of the diet. So, yeah, it tends to be a slightly higher fat diet than um, what some people are used to. So if you took someone for a shop through to a supermarket mm-hmm. and you said, we are going to uh, build a Mediterranean diet by going on this shop today. What would you be putting in your basket with that person that you're trying to teach on, on how to eat a Mediterranean diet? Hmm. I probably go through the produce section first and have a look at what's seasonal and kind of colourful in that category and pick out a few fruits and veggies um, I'd probably then head into the protein section. I might pick up some chicken as like a once once or twice per week kind of thing. And then I would probably have a look at the grains, pick a nice whole grain kind of sourdough bread um, or maybe a rye bread or something like that. And then I would have a look out for the herb and spice aisle, grab some dried herbs and spices. If anything fresh tickled my fancy, I'd grab that too. And then extra virgin olive oil, of course. Um, I pick up some eggs and then I would be hitting the legume and bean section pretty hard. So whether that be tinned or dried, Um, I'd be picking up some chickpeas, some lentils, some kidney beans. And yeah, I think that would be like a really good kind of start. And then you can kind of move things as you need to move them. Um, And of course, some fish. So maybe that's not the supermarket, but you know, we can, we can pretend. (laughs) (laughs) Some salmon or some um, prawns or some white fish. Um, yeah, I think that would probably be a decent kind of Mediterranean basket to kind of start your your Mediterranean diet off. So no chocolates or lollies, huh? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steph. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about in, in regards to the Mediterranean diet that we haven't brought up yet? Yeah, I think sometimes people follow this as as really strictly like it's a quote-unquote diet and so I think it's important to remember those foundational pillars that I talked about that have nothing to do with diet like eating together with people eating in a social setting um, and movement as well because that will help bring some more joy and also some flexibility have a bit of a flexible mindset when it comes to this um, way of eating because you know, hopefully you're going to be doing it for a long time so you can benefit not just your fertility but also, you know, other aspects of your health. So we want to make sure that it's flexible and you can still go out and have a pizza with your friends on a Saturday night. It's not all over. It's okay. Like, (laughs) um, yeah, so I think that is 
something to bear in mind. I think sometimes people adopt it as this very strict thing and they do it for a few months and then they fall off the bandwagon again like any other kind of fad diet. So important to have a really flexible mindset. And, you know, if this is really far away from what you're currently doing, just, you know, dip your toe in. Start with a few key things and then and then move from there. I think that's good general advice. Thank yeah. you, uh, a fellow Greek, Stephanie Valakis. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Stephanie Valakis. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay Fanny Tabulous.